Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, the show dedicated to the private investor, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. We want to show you how to cross the divide from residential investing over to commercial property investing. Through interviews, tips and lessons learnt, we share experiences of investing and give you the inspiration, knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy. So let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome back. I was down at the Flex Annual Conference in London last week. I actually went down the day before, recorded some podcast interviews with some great guests, and then went to the show, refreshed, on Tuesday morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to write loads of notes. It's something I've always done, but it amazes me how many don't record things. Either they don't have a brain like a sieve, that maybe I have, or they just go for the feeling a conference can give. For me, I like to note down lots about the content and also on another level, what's inspiring me to think about in my own business. So sometimes my notes can be reflections of what people have said, but also reflections on my own business because of what they said. So sometimes my notes can seem almost unrelated, but they make total sense to me. So I'm going to try and give you a sense of some of the topics that were covered that day and some of the key things I picked out. And there were loads of topic areas. And it's difficult, of course, to put together a single podcast episode that covers everything. I mean, each topic on the day really is a full episode in of itself. So I'll endeavour to keep this to a summary. I'll delve into some, deeper into some of these topics over the coming weeks. Or in the case of some of the hot topics, such as valuations, AI in our space and business rates to name but a few, I'll probably cover them more than once over the coming year or two. Now, here's my views. And of course, they are just my views and they're a summary of my roughly written notes as I've just described. So don't sue me if I have any misquotes. <laughs> so I've just basically, I've written down some topics and I'm gonna just delve into each of those areas. The first thing I wanna talk about is occupancy rates because that did come up a few times. And an observation I had was that the word occupancy and vacancy are totally interchangeable. And Instant Offices brought out a very recent report in May showing that the average occupancy in the flexible space sector is 83%. Whilst that can be compared to a rate shown by CoStar, which many of you know of CoStar, of 35.9% on occupancy. So it's like, well, how's one at 83 and one's at 39, 35.9. Now, to be fair, CoStars is talking about office space in general. However, these are actually measuring two completely different things. One is the actual occupancy and use of space by workers versus vacancy rates. 
So from an investor perspective, it's, it's really the vacancy rate or the overall occupancy rate that has the biggest effect on us. So we need to keep checks on the basis of where the stats are coming from. As with everything in business and life, of course, stats can be presented in many different ways, right? An interesting quirk is that according to CoStar, occupancy on Tuesdays, Wednesday and Thursdays is at 40%. And in the West End of London, that was 47.6% and in Glasgow, 16.3%. Now that reports a little bit earlier on, it's just after Easter. But let me just go back for a second to the occupancy versus vacancy thing. So flexible space and the information that we get or that is being gathered there by instant is about the number of units that are let or desks that are let. Whereas the other numbers that are coming out in the press and CoStar mentions about 35.9%, this is about the number of people actually turning up to work. It's a big difference. For us as investors, it's important to know how much our vacancy is in our space, how much is actually not being paid for. And in a longer term, of course, it's important to understand how much is being used and utilized by the occupants. But our income is derived by the vacancy, not by the occupancy, if that makes sense. So we've got to just think about, right, well, we're looking at these numbers and, these, and there's that number there of like 30, 40% that keeps coming up in the press about occupancy and space. That's not the amount of space that's let. Really important to differentiate there. So the number I'm working from is the instant number at 83% because that's much nearer to my product of flexible space. Interestingly, they did mention that 43% of locations are reporting over 90% occupancy. And I've actually done some work on our numbers recently, and I'm going to share that in a separate episode over the coming weeks at some point. But as a wee teaser, our current occupancy is 96.23% to be exact across six mature locations. So that isn't including space that's yet to be redeveloped. That's space that has been developed and is ready for occupation. So we're at 96.23% across six locations. And our average over the years has been pretty good. When I look at it, I just didn't have that data before because it was stored in different locations. But anyway, getting back to conference, there were those two figures discussed quite openly during the day, but actually I just really think it's really important. What are we talking about here? Occupancy or vacancy? <laughs> we're talking about the number of people on site or we're we talking about the number of offices and spaces we've got let. It's a big difference. Okay, so I want to talk briefly about TOG and Flora. Two operators, big um, beasts in the industry. TOG is a business that I really have watched and I really find their spaces really inspiring. I love what they do. Flora is a bit newer to the market. Again, quite a similar business, high-end design and high-end um, experience for customers. And it's fascinating to hear Flexa had Enrico Sana on who's the CEO from the joined combined group now discussing a few things and it was fascinating to hear that they now have over 70 locations catering to over 30,000 clients with over 700 staff looking after those clients and Enrico thinks everything under 10,000 square feet should become flex space his opinion is anything above that starts getting into the realms of single lets and single occupants, more leased space. But anything under 10,000 is fair game. And the numbers that they spoke about was that the current flex market is 8%. Now, I don't know where that number came from. I can't um, 
clarify that or say that's for definite. I remember it used to be 3%, 8% sounds quite a lot, but maybe that's around London. But Enrico's thinking, you know, it should be 20-30%. That's where they feel the market's going. But some of the things that they really concentrate on are service and hosting. It's everything. So a huge amount of time and money is spent on training staff, particularly around experience, giving the customers a really good experience. And just an example of that was he said they're working on disruption recovery plans. Right, okay, this is great jargon. What does this mean? Disruption recovery plans. Well, he said that every time you change personnel at reception, the people, the hosts that welcome guests or visitors or customers into the building, it can actually be really big disruption because the customers built up a relationship with that member of staff, that team, so that they can actually, when they come in the building, they feel welcome, they know what's going on, they feel they can go straight to work and they can rely on these the hosts to look after any needs that they have. But when there's a new person coming in, that totally disrupts it and they, have to, they feel they have to start again. So this is one of the things they work on, a disruption recovery plan. Interesting. Not something I thought about before, but as a business, we try and encourage our staff to move from location to location because it gives them a broader experience. So it's really interesting just to hear him talk about how that business has grown and where it's going in the future. A lot of exciting things to come for them. And one of the last bits, just want to note, he said, Fridays are still dead. <laughs> Their customers are still coming in Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday as the main thing. Mondays is improving, but Fridays is still very quiet. So next, let's talk about valuations. This was a panel discussion, which could have been a lot more fiery than it was. I think the panel was pretty well picked, actually. It was quite diverse. But valuing what was the question in my head. What are we talking about valuing here? Because if you're talking about flex space rather than single units, it becomes more complex. So are you valuing a multi-let property? Are you valuing a flexible space operator with a lease in place running a multi-let flex property? Or are you looking at a management agreement between an operator and a landlord or an owner of the property? Which bit are you valuing? And of course, from my point of view, we operate an opco propco, so we're doing both. So from, from my point of view, or investors, particularly with that opco propco situation, reading between the lines and with discussions subsequently in the room that I had with others after the panel, the values are beginning to look at a split valuation, namely a market rate lease value with an appropriate multiple applied to that, and then a multiple placed on the EBITDA profit for the operations side of the business. So let, let me give you an example there to make that maybe sound a bit more simpler. You could have a multiple of say eight to 12, somewhere in there or higher on an underlying rental. So if the property on the open market would generally rent for 20 pounds a square foot, then you would have a multiple applied to that. And then a second tier valuation based on the EBITDA of the operations side. So, okay, we've got an underlying rental that we understand the market value is at, but actually this building's making a lot more money because of the operational side. So they're applying a multiple on effectively the net profit to the operations business. And typically, again, this was not mentioned on the stage, but typically when I'm talking to people in the audience, I need a bit multiple, maybe five to seven, somewhere in there. 
So there are a few reports and white papers out there about this. So although people are arguing we're more like the hotel sector, now that's maybe where some of the evidence should be taken from, part of the pushback from the valuers was there's not enough data. You guys don't have enough data. And as an industry, you're going to have to improve on that, which is one of the key things for us. So data, data, data and comparisons is really what we need to be looking at. And it inspired me, as I say, to go and look at our own data, which is where that average occupancy figure came from earlier on, because I thought, actually, I don't know what our average occupancy has been for the last 14 years or what our average occupancy has been in our longest held property, which is um, 19, nearly 20 years. So I had to go away and work that out. And interestingly, our average occupancy over 14 years is 93.5%. And I didn't really know that number before. I'm going to come back to that in another episode. Let me just pause there. I think it's important to have that data and those comparisons to be able to actually work out what the value should be for our property. And it's a conversation that's constantly going on. We had Ryan on the podcast before discussing valuations. And it does look like the needle's starting to move. So my own feeling is there will be an opportunity for those of us who've gathered sufficient data and have a bit more of experience in the market that we will be able to achieve increasingly improving multiples. Okay, so that's valuations. Next, well, not next up, at the end was business rates. So I'm going to come on to that next. So many of you will know that are based in England, that some local authorities are challenging the model of splitting up individual units in flex space or serviced offices and only applying a single rateable value to the whole property. This was mentioned on my interview with Jane Sarton a few weeks ago. She just brought this up. I didn't delve into it. I thought I need to ask, and I'm going to do that separately later on, but it came up again at conference. I thought I'd just bring it back in, um, bring it back onto the table. So the big issue is who's paying and what about any reliefs that small businesses have a right to access? By doing it all as one, i.e. one building having a rateable value, that's not going to make it possible. It's going to be difficult for small businesses to access any reliefs, and that's going to be a disadvantage to them. So as you can imagine, this could be a really big problem. And on the face of it, could make some operations in their current setup inoperable. But hang on, wait a minute here. There are hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of multi-let buildings around the country. So there's got to be a line here somewhere. It can't be that every multi-let building, let's just pick a, let's pick a shopping centre. Let's make a shopping centre all one rateable value instead of individual ones. Or let's make an industrial estate because it's all interconnected and terraced. Let's make them all one rateable value. And that, it, there's going to be a line here somewhere. So one of the key differentiators that was coming out of the conversation is around the language of the rental agreement. Now I've said rental agreement, I've not said license, I've not said lease, but rental agreement. And that, the line that's coming out of there, the important thing is who is in paramount control of the space? Hmm. That is the clause about a particular space or an equivalent. That might need to change. So this is where, in a license agreement, the licensee has a right to occupy a particular space or an equivalent. In other words, we could potentially change that. Now, clearly, it can't be just licenses and leases, leases that are the difference, let's see, right, in time. But there will, of course, be some action for us to take 
It just isn't clear right now what it's going to be. So just keep tuning in. And this is where big kudos goes out to Jane Sarton and the board at Flexa for really working hard on the behalf of members and challenging the VO or the valuations office on this and getting a hearing from government department on behalf of the industry to calmly present the potential consequences of such an action because it could be pretty significant. So a lot of work is going on in the background on our behalf. So thank you for that. And as soon as we hear more on the outcome, I will keep you informed through the podcast. One last bit about rates. Don't let that worry, by the way. I do think there's going to be a way through that. It's just trying to work out what that way is. And until the dust settles, we're not going to quite understand that yet. But the headline, not to depress you anymore, was that rates currently bring in £28 billion pounds a year in revenue to the government. And their target is £35 billion. Gulp. Currently, it's one of the highest commercial property taxes in the world in the UK. But not so on residential, by the way. Just throw that in there. So where that's all going, don't know. We just have to look at it on an individual basis and just act accordingly. Now, other topics that came up. There was a great session, by the way, that I attended with Jessica Morgan. She did a section on PR. I'm definitely going to expand on that topic later on. Um, I think Jessica's tentatively agreed to come on to the podcast. So hopefully we'll have a, a full session on that. There's some really great advice about local PR. So I really, I'm hoping that we're going to be able to cover that in a future episode. So AI came up. Um, and... And it made me reflect a little bit that it's not just about ChatGPT, right? It's about smart buildings and systems, many of which some of you will already use. And it's improving all the time. And what is improving is the more joined up nature of these systems, which is really quite exciting. I've spoken about that a few times in the podcast, where it's difficult to get things to join up and talk to each other, but it's definitely getting better. And it's becoming more of a differentiator for us as operators. And... I mean, this is a really brief mention about such a huge topic. Again, I, I want to circle back to it later, but it's just amazing to see what we're able to do already because of AI in a broader sense. I mean, it's scary at the same time, of course, but it's also looking, if you are talking more about the chat GPT type stuff, it's looking more at those mundane tasks that we do as a business, whether it's through marketing, admin, whatever, and improving our efficiencies there to allow people to get on with some of the more value-adding tasks, okay? So there were speakers from a number of operators there too, some of which um, I took notes for. I'm just going to note, just basically give you a quick fire on that. Landmark, which is a big operator, their biggest sales are from retention. And another operator said also that 40% of sales are annual renewals. So this is basically where you've got flexible space for those that don't have one and you have maybe a license agreement that's a 12-month license agreement and you're looking at renewing that every year. I have to say, I don't know the number for us. I really should, but I suspect it's way higher. Our retention's... <laughs> I'm just this gut, right? This is terrible. I can't tell you the exact number, but our retention's pretty good. We don't... We've got... Um, I think last count we had 300 invoices going out for customers for this month. So let's say there's 200 customers, over just over 200 customers. We only change customers maybe 
two or three a month. So if you multiply that by 12, that's maybe 30, 40 a year. So yeah, our, our retention is pretty high. But it's interesting though that these guys are just saying, look, highlighting this is, you know, a lot of our sales are coming from retention and from renewals. So it's just to, to, to remember, you've got those customers there if you have an operator, if you've got a, a flex space. And that actually a lot of sales are coming from that section. So they maybe need more focus, I guess. Now, ESG did pop up a little bit, of course, but it was further down the list this time around. I don't think that's to say it's gone away. I know it hasn't. It's far from it, but it's becoming more of a norm. People are just getting on with that stuff. And actually, I've got a super interview recorded. I mentioned I went out to London the day before. I met up with Georgia, the operations and ESG director from Office Space in Town. We had a great conversation. That's going to be coming out in June sometime, so keep an ear out for that. Now, I can't cover everything that was discussed on the day. As I say, it was a full day, and this is only a 30-minute podcast or something around about that. Plus, I've got to get out of here and meet up with some of our management team to get on with some planning. So apologies if I missed out a topic from the day, particularly if you're listening in the short section. Sorry about that. When I left the conference, though, the overall feeling I got from the event was a large chunk of optimism, dampened only slightly by the lack of clarity on business rates for flex space moving forward. But more to come on that soon. The Flexit audience is generally a really optimistic bunch. They're always fun to be around. I love going down to these events and meeting old friends that I've known in the industry for years and meeting new people. Nothing seems to hold them down for long as they're too busy working on the next deal and innovating to be worrying much about the small stuff. So while I was running to get my train back up to Scotland, I felt that there's a lot of things that we could really improve in our business. I always feel that when I go to these events and things that I could share with you guys because there's so much energy in the industry and so much excitement about the things that are coming and how this industry is growing and that the pie of office space may be the same, but the piece that the flex space is taking is getting bigger and bigger. And I'm even looking forward to delving into some of these topics in more depth over a few more episodes. Plus, we potentially have some exciting changes coming up for the podcast, including a more professional product. Yes, we can get better. We recognise that. And more great interviews, a few of which are already in the can. Keep a lookout for those. Please subscribe if you haven't already and leave us a positive review. It really helps raise the profile of the show and helps us negotiate for those upcoming improvements, including sponsors, which really helps, editing quality and guests. And in terms of the host, I'll do what I can to improve that element. But for the foreseeable future, you're stuck with me, I'm afraid. Now, one last thing. I was talking with a CPI client recently and they described how they'd found an amazing deal, and I can vouch for that, it is a really good deal. They were out with an agent looking at another property. When the conversation around valuation and opportunities for that redevelopment about that specific project encouraged the agent to say, I think you should come and look at this building around the corner that might be coming on the market soon. The rest, as they say, is history. But the point I want to make is, by being out in the swim, that opportunity was presented to him. Without the other on-site meeting to discuss a building that they didn't progress with, they may never have had the conversation that led to the real opportunity. Now, I rest my case. Get in the swim. You never know what will happen.
Hi there. I hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be a first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.